Welcome to Tattooed Freaks and Business Suits, recorded live in the kitchen of the Personal Touch Career Services in Denver, Colorado. I am your host, Donna Shannon. As a professional career coach, I help people navigate the hiring maze to get the jobs they really love. In addition to working with job seekers one-on-one, I do have a book available. You can find How to Get a Job Without Going Crazy on Amazon. My guest today is Jordan George, who is actually joining me all the way from Orlando, Florida. Hi, Jordan. Hi, Donna. It's uh, great to be here. We're definitely having a little bit warmer weather than you all are having out there in Denver. Oh, I don't know. It's like 80 degrees out here today Uh, for for October. (laughs) It's kind of the same here, but it feels like 100. Well, yeah, you got the moisture anyways. So... Uh, Just a bit about our show. Our purpose is to explore and redefine the world of work, especially as Gen X, millennials, and those to come after seek positions of leadership that still allow them to be themselves. Every show, we will explore a topic related to business or job searching. And of course, we're going to talk about tattoos. Our sponsor is the Personal Touch Career Services, Denver's top-rated career coaches. We focus on the practical tools for your job search, including resumes, LinkedIn profiles, job search coaching, and ongoing classes. Check out our ridiculously long website, personaltouchcareerservices.com. Once again, that's personaltouchcareerservices.com, or, you know, just Google it. So, Jordan... I was um, actually saw you speak at the Disrupt HR Denver. I think it was like about a month or two ago in 2018. Yeah. And uh, you're kind of an unusual entity, aren't you? Because you do HR and comedy. How do those <laughs> two mix? Tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. I've been called an unusual entity before, uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but yes, as it relates to HR and comedy, yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, quick backstory on me: when I was growing up, I couldn't decide what I wanted to do. And uh, like many people out there, and uh, for a long time, I wanted to become an actor. Mm. I figured if I did that, I could just, you know, I could work a million different jobs for a very short period of time, you know, yeah. <laughs> in these right, right. acting stints, right? Uh, and, and long story short, there's no money in that unless you're really, really good. And to be honest, I was not really, really good. <laughs> uh, so I, I said, well, I love business. Um, I love people. I love teaching people. I love leading people. But I, I can't, I'm not a numbers guy. I can't do the accounting. I can't do the finance. So, you know, is there some magic combination of things where I can get in front of people and I can tell them about stuff and I can teach them and also merge that with business? And then, ta-da, HR. And, and specifically, a lot of the, my experience has been on the L&D, the training side of the house. Uh, so I've been doing that for uh, about 12 years now, just a little bit over a decade here. And, uh, you know, as things go, and I've, I've progressed through my career, I've become more and more removed from the facilitation side of things. I've been, you know, been given more strategic roles and management roles and things like that. Uh, and I missed having that opportunity to be in front of people and to, to talk directly to them and kind of get that reaction um, from an audience. And so uh, a couple of years ago, I decided to uh, start up. Uh, kind of my own speaking gig and, and, and doing, uh, trying to do more to get out in front of people on a regular basis. One, to keep my skills sharp personally, but also to network and engage and meet people from different parts of the community. And um, as I was getting back into that, a friend of mine suggested that I try improv comedy. 
Mm. And uh, and I said, well, you know, I'm not very funny, so <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if, if that's right for me. And he said, hey, look, Jordan, it has nothing to do with being funny. It has everything to do with being really good at failing a lot and then getting back up and trying again. And I said, well, I'm really good at that. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. 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 So uh, but, uh, I've been doing improv comedy for about three years now. I've had the opportunity to perform all over central Florida, um, have performed at the uh, Del Close Improv uh, Marathon up in New York, uh, which wow. was a ton of fun. It's 72 hours of just improv after improv after improv. And um, somehow got stuck at like the 1.30 a.m. slot. <laughs> cool. so it, was, cool. it was an interesting crowd that was there at that time. Everything was funny to them. Um, I'm sure. <laughs> but it's been a ton of fun. And, and so now I, I get to share that with people and tell people about, you know, all the, the really great parallels between improv and the workplace and, and particularly HR and training. Uh, you know, you, it doesn't have to be something that you want to do because you want to be an actor or you want to be a comedian. Uh, but a lot of the skills in improv are very relatable to the workplace. Things like flexibility and collaboration and teamwork and listening. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I like to bring a lot of those concepts into the work that I'm doing and into the speaking engagements that I do. Uh, and it doesn't hurt to have a little bit of fun and, and have some laughs along the way too. Right, right. And then you're doing something else as well. I read on your LinkedIn profile, I think you started this in 2016, was Ask Jordan George. And you do some help with people on their job searches too, right? I do, yeah. So, you know, I, uh, I don't fashion myself as a career guru or an expert or anything like that, a career coach. Um, but I do love helping people find and excel in jobs and careers that they absolutely love. I, I, I have a huge belief uh, that we spend way too much time at work to be miserable every day. Oh, uh, and agree. so, yeah. you know, I've, I've kind of made it a mission and, and kind of my mantra to help people find work that they get really excited about waking up to, to get started with in the morning. And so uh, a couple of years ago, I had some folks that were reaching out for help and, um, you know, just that I had known over the years and kind of gotten to know. And uh, I said, you know, instead of just kind of doing this ad hoc, let me create a a way for people to connect directly to me if they're having questions. So if they're looking for jobs or they want help with their resume or they want some coaching for an interview. Um, I, I do do a lot with people that are in my, in my sector of work in the banking industry or in the L and D world. Um, something that's really common for a lot of uh, training interviews is they have you give some sort of mm -hmm. a presentation. So I do presentation coaching and things like that, but really just created askjordangeorge.com as a way for people to interact directly with me to ask their questions, to uh, request assistance on something, and have that kind of channel that I could focus kind of that side of my work through, which uh, has been a lot of fun, and I've met a lot of really great people through that. Cool, cool. So let's talk a little bit more about this whole failure idea, because the, the presentation I saw you do, and for those who are listening who don't know what the Disrupt series is, is everybody gets up and they only have five minutes per, to present, your slides advance automatically on the PowerPoint and they're only up there for 15 seconds. Yep. And the one that you did was called failed it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, a little play on, play on words there. 
of the nailed it, you know, uh, yeah, it failed it. And, and celebrating all things failure, which again, I'm very, very accomplished. And if there's anything in this world that I'm uh, becoming an expert at slowly, it's that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to take ownership of it. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's, it's been great. And you know what, I, I had a lot of people come up to me after the presentation at Disrupt HR Denver and, and said, you know, thanks for being honest and, and thanks for showing us that it's not all glamorous. And I think that's, you know, part of the reality of this is we, we're all human and we all make mistakes. And uh, there is, I think, kind of a dangerous expectation out there, especially uh, for folks with social anxiety and things like that, that we, we hold ourselves to these unrealistically high standards. And we're so afraid of making mistakes. And believing that somehow perfection is this requirement for being accepted and being a worthy contributor, uh, whether that's at home or at school or within the workplace. Um, and what happens is when we're so afraid of making mistakes and we're so afraid of failing, we play it safe. We try to fly under the radar and we, we get in this routine of repeating the same safe choices over and over and over again with this, this uh, mindset that if we don't make any waves, if we don't attract any attention, nobody will ever yell at me. Nobody will ever be upset. No one will ever be disappointed. But at the same time, we never really try to attempt anything in which we could fail. So we never really have these opportunities for the great successes that come along with that. And so that was a lot of what the talk was about uh, is just how do we push past that and how do we become more okay with uh, a reality where failure is not just something that's tolerated or something that is accepted, but we encourage it, we support it, we champion it because we know that we're going to learn from those opportunities. Okay. So do you think that embracing this idea with the failure and why, why it matters is different for the perspective from an, an organization or a business leader or, or the individual? Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, organizations and especially HR, you know, we talk about this a lot is uh, a lot of our work is around controlling or trying to manage risk or failure or, or mistakes or issues at the business level, at the organizational level. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, a business needs to operate in a smart way. Uh, but I think there is a, a fine line and a balance that business leaders can walk where we say, look, we, we want to take measured steps to reduce unnecessary risk or, you know, things that are going to, uh, to set us up for some sort of financial loss or, or regulatory issue, right? We want to protect against those things. But there are other things that we don't need to be so regimented about. And there are ways that as business leaders, we can support those individuals who are trying to do something new, that are trying to do something different, that are trying to innovate and create uh, and bring some new ideas to the table that is only successful if we also set up this, this reality that it's okay if we don't get it right the first time because we're not going to. Uh, so we have to create this culture that supports being able to make mistakes, knowing that failure is going to happen and that it's okay. And that the really important thing is that when we fail, we learn something from that and we get better and we do it better next time. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that's kind of the organization and the business leaders role in things. Yeah. And that's one of the things, you know, I'm a small business owner and that's probably what I enjoy the most about having my own company is because I've been in organizations before, both small and large, that uh, getting them to change or to do things differently was incredibly difficult. Yeah, it's painful. Yeah. And then to, when I started my own business, I, I'm very nimble. 
I can change whenever I need to. And very early in my uh, launching the business, I would make uh, line items of my own budget every month for something stupid. Like literally, <laughs> it was a line item that said something stupid because I knew I was going to blow money on some dumb idea or something that didn't work out. And rather than beat myself up about it, say, okay, this is part of the learning process. This is part of the learning curve. I'm just going to recognize it for what it is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we don't, we, if we are afraid of failure and we're afraid of making mistakes and, you know, in kind of your words, afraid of doing something stupid, um, we, we don't try new things. And if we're stuck in that, again, in that kind of routine of just never trying anything new, of keeping everything the same, of, you know, playing it safe, so to speak, then it's really hard for organizations to grow. And, and we can look to startups for this. I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of overused these days. It's, the startup model is not for everyone. It's not for every business size. It's not for every industry. But you look at what startups do really well, and they're great at adjusting and adapting on the fly and figuring out what is working and let's continue doing that and what's not working. And let's change it and let's adjust and let's adapt and let's move forward. And we could all do at the corporate level with a little bit more of that mentality of let's fail fast and let's fail hard, but then let's pick ourselves up and try something else and keep going until we figure out what it is that's going to work. But in order to create that environment, that climate, we have to make it okay and we have to make it safe for our people to try things and fail. Uh, so something that I was, I was really kind of passionate about in, in Denver when I was there doing the talk is, is uh, let's re, you know, I think failure's got this PR problem. Let's repaint it. Mm -hmm. Failure is something sexy. Failure is something that we want to really trump up, not just as something that's, again, okay or tolerable, but something that we, we encourage, we support, we champion, we share the stories, we share the failures. Um, and from that, not just do we learn something, but the other people throughout our organization learn something. People in other organizations looking in from the outside, they learn something. And we all benefit from just acknowledging the reality of life, which is we're going to fail. And mm -hmm. that's perfectly okay. And not only is it okay, we love it. Right. Okay. So now I'm going to ask you a personal question. Since you were saying that you're getting pretty good at this failure thing, <laughs> do you have any of your own spectacular failures that you could share with us that turn it into a, late, a great learning opportunity or turn it into another opportunity? Oh, man. <laughs> How, <laughs> is this How much time do we have? Um, <laughs> no, it's, I mean, it's a great question. I think my, my trouble would be uh, is isolating out just one or one, you know, really critical, big or important one. Um, but I, I think, gosh, I fail... I fail a lot, and, and I think that is what's kind of helped me change my relationship with failure. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a person who has really high standards, both for myself and for my team. Um, I expect a lot. I, I, I demand, you know, kind of a certain level of excellence. And, and for me, I have always struggled with feeling like I wasn't able to meet the standards of others or um, feeling like I wasn't uh, performing at a level that I, that I knew I could or that I knew I should be. And so uh, it, that in and of itself was a failure in the way that I was thinking, right? And I had to change the way that I fundamentally thought about failure. Uh, so Yeah, the self-judgment thing can be a real detriment. And yeah, you know, yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, my, my favorite quote on that is uh, from a lady called, uh, named Catherine Scholes, and she's uh, an author uh, and a self-proclaimed wrongologist. And she says that 
of all the things that we're wrong about, this idea of what it really means to be wrong is what we're most wrong about. Mm-hmm. It's kind of our meta mistake uh, that mm-hmm. it's, it's not a sign of, of inferiority, but it's part of the capacity of who we are as human beings. And it's crucial to learning and to growing and to, and to figuring out what we want to do differently. Um, I, I mean, I, I can give you a really good example that, that came in the early years of me being a leader of people and being a manager. Mm-hmm. Um, I was brand new into an organization where I was managing people for the first time. And I kind of talked to a lot of the folks there. I tried to spend a lot of time just studying and understanding and figuring out what was working and what wasn't and what needed to change. And this particular function um, had kind of a, a rough and rocky past. Uh, the former leader that was, that was the position that I was taking over had been very restrictive with their mm-hmm. people. Um, and everybody was in a box. I mean, literally in the first couple of weeks that I was there, I had people coming up to me saying, is it okay if I send an email to somebody? And I wow. thought to myself, why wouldn't it be? Yeah. <laughs> so, well, yeah. We're not allowed to send emails to anybody outside of the team. Oh. And I was like, that's ridiculous. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, yes, yes. You don't even have to ask me. Don't ask me that ever again. Please go do it. And my, my thought process, again, as a new leader of people was, you know what? I need to give these people some freedom. Mm-hmm. because that's what I would want. I don't like to be micromanaged. These people don't want to be micromanaged. You know what? We're, we're taking the chains off. We're opening the fence. We're letting the sheep out into the pasture. Uh, and I, I literally removed pretty much, uh, you know, I, I kept telling them, you guys are in a box, you're in a box. We're getting rid of the box. We're burning the box. No more box. Be mm-hmm. free. And I thought that was going to be the solution. Uh, what I found out was that I was wrong. Because mm-hmm. when in this particular set of people, and some of your listeners might empathize with this, when you've been in an environment when all you've known is control and structure, even if it's been a negative thing, and then you suddenly swoop in and you take all of that away, it caused panic for some people. I mean, some oh, people yeah. loved it. They were, they were super happy. And other people were like, well, what do you mean I, I can do whatever I want? What do you mean I can make my own decisions? What do you mean I'm you know, accountable for the choices that I make now versus you know, I'm used to people telling me exactly what to do and how to do it. Um, and so I learned that it's not okay to shift necessarily from black and white to a gray area all of a sudden. You kind of need to ease your way into it. So it's not about necessarily you know, using that box uh, uh, kind of analogy again. It's not about burning the box down. Maybe it's just saying, we're going to expand the box. We're going to make the box bigger, right? So you have more room to play. You have more room to maneuver. You have more autonomy than you're used to, but I'm still going to set some parameters because I know that you personally need that. And that was a huge moment of learning for me uh, early in my career was just people don't all want to be managed the same way that I want to be managed. And so I have to really spend some time getting to know my people to make sure that uh, I'm giving them the type of leadership that they individually need and not applying this kind of blanket statement or this blanket belief based on the way that I want to be led. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. And in, in managing my own teams here, especially with my writers and coaches, I do a lot of training and professional development for them to make sure we're all doing best practices. And recognizing that, especially there's one member on my team who has a polar opposite learning style from what I do. So I'm kind of like the person of, oh, we're going to learn how to do 
you know, skydiving. So let's go up in a plane and put on these parachutes and jump out the door and we'll figure out how to pull out the ripcord on the way down, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and this team member of mine is all like, uh, no, I want to study aerodynamics and I want to study airplanes and I want to study what the air wind speed is going to be like going down. I want to know how every single piece on the parachute works before I put it on and I want to practice three times on the ground before we get up there. <laughs> because that's the way her brain thinks. Yep, yep. And she needs that structure. She needs to know what the parameters are. She needs to know what the goals are and what success looks like. Mm. And I think she's been my best hire in years because she forces me to think in those different ways that I wouldn't. Yep. When I'm telling everybody, just go for it. Just do it. You know, <laughs> we'll figure it out as it goes. And it's okay if you make a mistake. Yeah. Versus well, someone who's like more of a perfectionist. Yeah. And, you know, that's a really good point. And I'm so glad you used the term perfectionist because uh, that was a piece of feedback that I got a lot early on in my career. I had a boss that told me one time, you don't have to wrap everything with a bow, right? Mm -hmm. It's okay to turn in something that's 95% of the way good or perfect, right? It doesn't have to be 100%. Um, and, and that's something, I mean, that's another area of opportunity that I've, I've continued to kind of develop myself in because I am that perfectionist. and I, I do want everything. I see everything as a, a mark and reflection of my own self-worth, essentially. And, mm -hmm. and that can be kind of damaging if you don't allow yourself to have a little bit of breathing space and, and to be okay with a, a degree of, it, of kind of acceptable failure. Mm -hmm. um, and you talk about the balance in teams, I think that's another really important part, uh, is when we can recognize in ourselves, um, I don't like to use the word weaknesses, but areas that aren't naturally strengths for us, right? Areas mm -hmm. that maybe we have a little bit more room for opportunity with, uh, and we can surround ourselves with people that are stronger in those areas that can kind of support us in that and can kind of fill out those gaps, we can be even more successful, but that takes accepting and realizing that we have a gap to begin with. Um, my, my right hand here in the office, uh, she's uh, the manager that reports into me. Uh, we have conversations all the time about how verbose I am and how I, I always want to write the email that's six pages long because I want to make sure that everybody understands every detail. <laughs> mm -hmm. And she goes, you can't do that. You know, she's very to the point, very direct. Um, and if it were up to her, every meeting would be five minutes long. So it, in that way, we both recognize that in each other and we can balance each other out, but it takes that awareness and recognition first, that self-awareness to say, this is an area where I have some opportunity. Let me surround myself with people that are going to balance that and bring their own skills and their own talents to the table to make us collectively stronger as you've done with your team. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, one of the things that you want to touch about, since you do speak with job seekers too, is they actually have to deal with a lot of failure, and it's uh, usually under the name of rejection. Mm -hmm. So how do you think a job seeker can use that kind of, well, it's not even feedback. We know a lot of times it's lack of feedback because the yeah. company just ghosts them. They go silent. Um, is there any way that you think a job seeker could use that kind of failure to their advantage? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, it's recognizing that uh, re rejection is just par for the course with job interviews. Uh, when I was younger, I used to I used to get every single job. The first, you know, five or six years of my career, anything that I applied for, I got the job. I, I didn't take all of them because uh, I, you know, I, I liked where I was at. But if I applied for something, I got it. And so I started to believe 
that as long as I was applying for everything I was getting, I was doing good. And looking back on that now, I realized I wasn't challenging myself. The jobs I was applying for were very safe. Uh, I was well-qualified or overqualified for most of them. And then so when I started to get my first few rejections, I was like, oh, this sucks. This is terrible. Uh, nobody wants that feeling. But that's the feeling of stretching yourself and pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone. And, and maybe going for some of these jobs that, um, you know, either you're qualified for or you're maybe marginally qualified for. But, but that's okay. It's mm -hmm. okay to get that rejection. It's how we respond to it and what we do with that information that matters. Uh, so first things first, like you said, we don't always get feedback when, when interviews don't go well, but ask for it. Mm -hmm. um, some organizations are more strict than others with how they let their teams communicate that. You know, everyone's very concerned about, uh, you know, any kind of discrimination or any perception of discrimination. So sometimes they won't let people respond with much, but you can always ask. The worst they can do is say no or not answer you, right? right. So always ask for that feedback. Um, and then you can also spend some time just in reflection yourself, thinking through, all right, if I'm trying the same thing every time and I'm getting the same result every time, what could I change? What could I modify? What could I tweak in my approach, in my resume, in the way I'm completing these job applications, in the conversations that I'm having, um, in the way that I'm networking? What can I do differently? And see if you get a different outcome or see if you get a different result. Um, and I think that's a really critical piece of the whole failure thing is there's a self-reflection component too. It's not always people telling you that you failed. It's recognizing where you have these areas of opportunity yourself. And that takes some self-reflection. Yeah. Uh, and, and lastly, Another, I would say, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I was just going to say, uh, just asking outsiders for their perspective and their help too. Um, you can do, you know, kind of mock interviews with friends or other people in the industry. Look for people that are in the line of work that you're trying to get into and connect with them. LinkedIn is an amazingly powerful tool that we have nowadays. And I think it's chronically underused when it comes to just reaching out to ask people for feedback or for assistance. So uh, you'll never know if you don't ask. So reach out and ask somebody, hey, you know, I, I applied for a job in, in your industry and I didn't get it. And I'd, I'd love to kind of talk to you about how it went and what I did and, and see what your feedback is. And I think most of the time you'll find people are really receptive to that because if people are on a social network, they expect to socialize. And mm -hmm. uh, I know for me personally, I always love it when someone reaches out and says, Hey, can you, can you give me some feedback on something? You know, it might not be right away depending on how busy I am, but I'm always happy to help with that kind of stuff. Right. Another thing I encourage people to do is know your metrics. So we've been talking about, you know, even for companies, when they're doing something and they fail at it, it's like look and see what worked and what, what didn't. And I think always knowing what some of the quantifiable metrics are helps. So, for example, I state that you should be getting one to three phone interviews for every 10 resumes that you're putting out there. Mm. You know, that's, that's something people can grab onto because it yeah. takes it out of this nebulous range of what's going on. Just like... Uh, I had a client who's a little bit freaking out on us right now. Um, she, she went through a layoff, so she's got a little bit of panic. That's understandable. And sure. you no, know, wants to get a job immediately right away. And we just finished her resume about a week and a half ago. <laughs> and she's uh, saying she's applied to 30 plus jobs and nobody's called her yet. It's like, well, 
it's too soon to tell. It takes HR two to three weeks to go through the applicants before they start calling people for phone interviews. So mm -hmm. just because you applied and didn't get a call in two hours does not mean you failed yet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's a matter of understanding what the timing is like. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. And, and that's all part of kind of reframing expectations, right? And I think you're, you're making a really good point about the metrics and uh, the fact that you're providing some of that to your clients, I think is so critical because people just don't understand it's a numbers game. I mean, recruiters mm -hmm. are looking at hundreds, if not thousands of resumes for every single job or the, or the, or the ATS, the applicant tracking system is at least churning through all of those, right? And so to some degree, it's a numbers game. But if you're continually finding that you're not having the success that you would hope for, then maybe it's time to change something. Yeah. Um, and, and I think having a, a better uh, set of expectations and understanding around that and around the process and around the metrics can certainly help with that. Yep. Yep. So what is your biggest advice that you have for job seekers? Network, network, network. Uh, mm -hmm. It is, I, I can't, I can't overemphasize that enough. I mean, your resume is not enough to get you the job. Yeah. Uh, your resume is a tool in your tool belt. It is not the end all be all. Yes, you need to put some time and effort into it. Um, yes, there are people out there that you can work with if that's not a strong suit for you. But at the end of the day, so many jobs are, are obtained just through the connections that you have with people. And, you know, today with, with social media, and again, I mean, a big proponent of LinkedIn, um, but there's, there's many other channels out there. There's so many different ways to communicate. There's no excuse not to. Yeah. Uh, you have to build some level of competency of networking, either in person at, at local events or industry events or online. And mm -hmm. using that as a way to to build your connections and it's not just about i'm going to network now because i'm out of a job and i need a job that comes off a little desperate right it comes off a little i'm reaching out to you because i need help uh, and there's not necessarily anything wrong with that but the really the best thing you can do is network before you need the job yeah. network in advance get to know people connect on a personal level get to know what they do what they're passionate about um, I, I just went out uh, for coffee today with somebody here locally um, who's, who's not looking for a job right now, but, you know, might be someday. Who knows? Um, and, and try to establish that mutually beneficial relationship. How can I help you? I send candidates over to recruiters outside of my organization all the time. If they're mm -hmm. not a good fit for us, I will gladly pass them along to somebody else that I know. Um, so you just, you just never know. Don't undervalue those critical relationships and as i said before make those connections before you need them so that they're there for you when you do yeah i'm really glad that you point out that it's also networking online it's picking up a phone because uh, there's so many people i talk to when you say networking and they get the mental image of you know 300 people gathered at an after hours event and there's a band and there's a bar and you know if if I don't like doing that myself. I'm oh, fairly yeah. extroverted, but you know, in crowds, I'm like, yeah, not so much, but I am an expert on LinkedIn and yeah. I can find pretty much anybody I want to on LinkedIn and connect with them. 
And that's just a matter of knowledge and comfort and not feeling too weird about reaching out to people you don't know. Yeah, and you're spot on. I mean, that is, net, you know, the kind of traditional in-person networking is, is terrifying to some people. And I totally get that. It's very weird. Uh, the whole job search process is like dating anyway, uh, you know, and, and networking is like that awkward stage where you're like, do I go up to the bar and buy somebody a drink, you know, and, yeah. and I get that. Or <laughs> it's the club and nobody can hear each other. <laughs> <laughs> right. or you're, yeah, you're screaming over somebody else's obnoxious music to try to make a connection. Yeah, uh, yeah. but that's, that's the value of, of these online networks and these, these social platforms. I mean, if somebody is on a social media network, chances are they're there because they're expecting to network, right? People don't typically go and create LinkedIn profiles and then say, I hope nobody ever contacts me. Um, most of the people are open to that and are open to connecting with you. So that if you are that introverted person and trust me, I get it, I'm with you, um, then that might be your best bet. That might be your, your best in because you can take the time, you can compose your message, uh, there's no pressure of having to respond right away. There's no pressure of having to come up on the spot with something to say. You can mm -hmm. build that connection. And then if you decide that you do want to take it into a kind of a, an in-person uh, meetup or in-person connection, then you've already got the intro and you can say, hey, you know, we've been chatting for, you know, a month or so now. Uh, why don't we uh, go catch up for coffee sometime? Or, hey, I know there's this networking event in town and I don't really want to go by myself. Would you want to come along with me? You want to go check it out and see what that's all about? And then you have, you know, somebody that you can, you can kind of go along with. And if nothing else, you can keep continuing the conversation with that person, uh, but hopefully meet a couple of other uh, nice people too. So I'm right. a huge, huge, huge advocate of that. Right. And you know, it's kind of like finding the balancing point between what you're comfortable doing versus, you know, pushing the envelope and going to things that you're not comfortable doing yet. Yeah. And coming right back into the thing with failure. So you do go to the networking event and you only talk to one or two people. That's a huge win. You know, so what if you didn't get 20 business cards? Maybe start off with the goal of, I always explain, you can have two kinds of networks. You can have ones that are very broad, meaning you know a lot of people, but they're shallow. Yep. So it's basically the stack of business cards sitting on your desk. Mm -hmm. Or you can have a small network that's very deep. And that's the people who know you, like you, and trust you. And you'll probably get more referrals from them anyways. Yeah. And that's, that's such a great point. And, and everybody's definition of success is going to look different, you know, and I talk to people about this a lot, um, especially for those of us with social anxiety that, you know, sometimes it's not about going out there and making a million connections. Sometimes it's just about going out there. Sometimes yeah. it's just about showing up. It's just about being in the place and if you don't stay for the whole three hours, no problem. If you, get, if you get out there and you spend 30 minutes and you talk to one person and you feel good about that, then that's your success for the day. And, and you said it so well, it's, it's getting out of, out of that comfort zone just enough. Um, I had a, a mentor of mine who said one time, you know, one of the biggest secrets to success is operating inside your strength zone, but outside of your comfort zone. So mm -hmm. how do we get out of just, just outside of the comfort zone where, where all the magic happens, but we don't want to push ourselves into that alarm zone where, where we're like, oh, this is not for me. I'm, I'm going crazy. You know, so I think it's, it's don't force yourself into a really awkward place, 
but force yourself into a kind of awkward place because there's a lot of growth and learning that can come out of that. And again, everybody's definition of success is going to be different. So for some people, it's going to be walking out of that networking event with 50 business cards. For you, maybe it's just one or two, but those are really good connections that you can you go back home then and spend some more time developing after the fact. Yep. Yep. Okay, great. So we're at um, one of my favorite parts of the show where we actually get to talk about the tattoo of the day. Yeah. But Jordan, you don't have a tattoo, do you? I, I don't, Donna. Do, can oh. I still be on the show? Oh, no, no, totally. <laughs> kicked off now. <laughs> no, I, you know, I don't have a tattoo, but um, I love tattoos. And I, I think this is an awesome podcast because, uh, you know, this, we place so much emphasis on what people look like um, in terms of the work that they can do or that they should be allowed to do or, you know, uh, dress codes and standards and all this kind of stuff. And, and really at the end of the day, what I care about is the quality of work that somebody can do. I, I could care less tattoos or piercings or, or any of that other kind of superficial stuff. I actually think it's, it's kind of cool. Um, and so I myself had considered many times over the course of my life getting a tattoo uh, and just for one reason or another, never did it. Uh, but the time that I came the closest was on my first international trip ever. Yeah. And uh, I was over in Tokyo, Japan, and totally, totally different culture, very different uh, kind of world from the Western side of things. If, if you've never been out there before, it's, it's amazing. I, I love it. I love the people. I love everything about it you should go. But if you have been out there, you know what I'm talking about. It's just very, very different. And uh, I, I thought to myself, you know what, this is it. From now on, anytime I go overseas to any country, I'm going to get a new tattoo, something that is representative of this culture and, you know, the, the, the experience that I've had. And, and then, you know, my body will become this, <laughs> this patchwork mm -hmm. quilt of all of my experiences traveling abroad. Uh, and, uh, I got to the tattoo shop and uh, I quickly changed my mind. <laughs> I backed out. I was, I was scared. I was terrified of it. Yeah. I, I had a lot of really high hopes and a lot of bravado and uh, uh, I was definitely hundred percent for it until I got there. And I was like, yeah, or we could just go get some sushi, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were going for like a traditional Yakuza tattoo where you have to know somebody where the artist and they make you, you drink the, they behead the turtle, you have to drink the turtle's blood right there. They, it wasn't one of those, was it? Uh, it, it could have been. It, it very well could have been. I heard the stories. And, uh, and I didn't know what I was, I can't read Japanese, so I didn't know what I was getting into. I, I didn't want to have to become a member of a gang or something, so, uh, <laughs> so I backed out of it. But, uh, you know what? I don't know. Uh, there's still time. Maybe I'll change my mind on that someday. Uh, I will but, give you one piece of advice. I'll... Yes. I'll I have uh, a cup. I love tattoos. So I love good and bad tattoos, which is a good thing because I have some bad tattoos. And <laughs> one of the, uh, my more interesting failures was I uh, had gotten a dragon. It's actually like a wyvern on my chest, uh -huh. dragon with two legs. And uh, so the original artist did it and I'm like, Oh, I think I'm going to go get some like clouds and stuff put behind it and like a blood moon and things like this. So, okay. I went there and I sat down in the artist chair and I'm like, normally the tattoo artist draws it up on paper beforehand and you yeah. come in the next day and it's like all ready to go or a week or two later. And I was all like, nah, just draw it. I trust you, whatever. 
<laughs> and it's not a good idea to just let a tattoo artist go freehand on your chest. Just <laughs> that sounds really bad. Okay, he wasn't feeling me up, but you know, it, uh, that's just a good general life tip for anybody. Listening general out. life tip, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, <laughs> I, it came through like super, super dark, and it wasn't like what I was expecting. It looks like a faded sun or something like that, and I'm all like wow, that's really dark. And he goes, oh, don't worry. It'll fade with time. Okay, so yeah. now it's been 30 years. 30 years! <laughs> <laughs> and the, the moon is just now fading out to a blood moon. Wow. Well, yeah. you know, uh, I would say, Donna, that makes you a very courageous person. That you and it's, and it's my most visible tattoo. So people yeah. see those clouds because it's almost right in the middle of my chest. And yeah. I'm like, what? Well, that. You know, in, in keeping with kind of the theme of this whole podcast and my whole thing, you know, I have to ask you, it's not the failure that matters. What did you learn from that experience? Um, that some decisions made under mind-altering substances are not the best. <laughs> <laughs> and, there's, and there's everyone's takeaway for the, for the podcast <laughs> yeah. today. Just, just some of the decisions made under mind-altering substances. Some could be great. You, I mean, you don't know. Those are, those are a different story. <laughs> yeah, we don't have time for that today. That's going to be next time. Yeah, exactly. Well, Jordan, thank you very, very much for your time today. Please let us know how can people get in touch with you. Yeah, no, this has been fantastic. Thanks so much, Donna. Um, people can reach me. My website is www.askjordangeorge.com. Uh, two first names just to confuse everybody all the time. And this uh, is not and, Jordan George, the ball player. No, no. Although, you know, people ask me about that all the time. And anytime I try to give a reservation for anything, they're like, last name, sir. And I'm George. And they're like, no, your last name. And I'm like, yes, I know what my last name is. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's askjordangeorge.com. Also, uh, I'm, I'm fairly active on LinkedIn. That's probably the best social media network if you want to get in touch with me. Uh, LinkedIn.com slash in slash askjordangeorge. Also on Twitter, although I'll be honest, I'm much less active trying to work on that. Uh, Ask Jordan mm -hmm. George there as well. Okay, great. So everybody, if you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to follow us. Check out Jordan George. And uh, my name's Donna Shannon. I got two first names too. So it's Donna, not Shannon. <laughs> <laughs> first name crew. Woo! Yay! So uh, be sure to give us a like, give us a comment. If you're nice, if you're not, go suck an egg. And be sure to follow us on all your favorite podcast platforms. Thank you very much. And we'll see you next time.